Welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten speaking to you from Ottawa, Canada this morning. Uh, for longtime listeners of our program, you know that each and every week, a guest and I discuss the weekly parasha. The Hebrew word parasha is easily translated as portion. The Hebrew text known as the Torah, the Pentateuch, um, is divided into 54 weekly readings to accommodate the Hebrew calendar, which is a solar lunar calendar. And each and every year, following the holiday of Simchat Torah, in which the last verses of Deuteronomy are read and the first verses of Bereshit of Genesis are read, the Jewish community throughout the world restarts their reading of the text from Genesis through Deuteronomy. This week, we are on the second parasha, the second portion of the book of Genesis. It's known in Hebrew as Noah, but to most of us, it's the well-known episode of Noah. Before I invite our guests to make some comments, I want to remind you of the story of Noah. And uh, if you're following along with the text, we're beginning in Genesis 6-9 and concluding with Genesis 11-32. God instructs Noah, who the text identifies as Ish Tzadik Badoroto, the only righteous man in a world consumed by violence and corruption, to build a large wooden teva, or an ark, coated within and without with pitch. A great deluge, says God, will wipe out all life from the face of the earth, but the ark will float upon the water, sheltering Noah and his family, and two members of uh, each animal species, or seven of the pure species, as the text tells us. We know from either childhood or from reading the text that rain falls from 40 days and 40 nights, and the waters churn for 150 days more before calming and beginning to recede. The ark settles on Mount Ararat, and Noah dispatches a raven and then a series of doves to see if the waters were abated from the face of the earth. When the ground dries completely each exactly one solar year, according to the text after the onset of the flood, God commands Noah to exit the ark and repopulate the earth. That part of the story is well known to most of us. But the Torah portion continues with episodes that may be less familiar. Noah builds an ark and offers sacrifices to God. God swears never again to destroy all, destroy all of humanity because of their deeds and offers the rainbow as a testimony, as a guarantor of this promise. God also commands Noah regarding the sacredness of life. And for the first time in the Torah, murder is deemed a capital offense. In addition, 
humanity is now permitted to eat the meat of animals. Prior to this, it was assumed that humanity was a vegetarian, had a vegetarian diet, but he is forbidden to eat flesh or blood taken from a living animal. Noah plants a vineyard and becomes drunk on its produce. Two of Noah's sons, Shem and Jepheth, are blessed for covering their father's nakedness, while a third son, Ham, is punished for taking advantage of his debasement. The descendants of Noah remain a single people, and the story now changes to the famous uh, story of Babel. With a single language and culture for 10 generations, then the descendants of Noah defy their creator by building a great tower to symbolize their own invincibility. God confuses their language so that one does not comprehend the tongue of the other, causing them to abandon their project, and according to the text, disperses them across the face of the earth, splitting into 70 nations. The number 70 nations will become very important throughout Jewish history, even through the rabbinic period. The parasha Noah concludes with the chronology of seven generations from Noah to Abram, and the latter's journey from birthplace of Ur Chazdim to Haran on the way to the land of Canaan. So this parasha ends similarly to the one before it. In Parashat Bereshit, we were introduced to Noah at the end. This week, we're introduced to Avram, who will become the uh, progenitor of the Israelite people and for whom chapter 12 will begin a uh, new series of stories within the Hebrew Bible. With me this morning is one of the preeminent rabbis of his generation. Rabbi Norman Cohn is the founding rabbi of Beth Shalom Congregation. During his tenure as senior rabbi, Beth Shalom uh, grew from 34 charter families when he arrived in 1981 and uh, grew to over 800 families in 2015 when he retired to become Rabbi Emeritus. He received his bachelor's degree, cum laude, from Holy Cross University in Worcester, Massachusetts. And during this period, he studied on a junior year abroad. Um, and he was ordained in 1977 from the Hebrew Union College and was awarded a doctorate of divinity from that same institution. His entire life has been devoted to serving uh, the Jewish people, both as a congregational rabbi and as an academic. Now he spends time in Phoenix, Arizona, serving a small congregation there, as well as returning to serve uh, Congregation Beth Shalom in Minnesota. It is with great joy that I welcome again to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, Rabbi Norman Cohen. Well, thank you, Rabbi Garten. I love the uh, synopsis of Noah because it really sets up beautifully what I hope that we'll discuss today, because you talked about how Noah was introduced at the end of uh, Breshit, last week's portion, as a way of connecting them. And then at the end of this portion, Abraham's introduced as a way of connecting Abraham to Noah, because part of what I hope to discuss with you today is the contrast between Noah and Abraham, which the rabbis in their commentaries 
make a great deal out of. Um, the, the, the story of Noah, of course, is based on many interesting um, words, etymological words. And we want to begin um, with how Noah is introduced to us. And um, last week, at the end of uh, the first section of Genesis, um, we find that um, Noah is introduced in the following way. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. You might want to translate it somewhat differently. And then we begin in chapter uh, 6 9. Ela todot Noach, Noach ish tzaddik tamim. So Noah was a righteous man. Haya tzaddik tamim, haya bedoroto. And he was blameless in his door, in his generation. Uh, and then it tells us um, that he walked with the deity. So we have these interesting descriptors of Noah. So let's begin there uh, before we proceed much further into our conversation. Who is Noah? Well, that, that's terrific. And we're going to be doing, as you have done already, translating from Hebrew to English, which is a great thing because we can all learn a couple of words that actually aren't just Hebrew, but they make their way into English very often. And, and, and people, Jewish and not Jewish, are able to catch the meaning of certain words. But um, as I mentioned to you once before, I'm so glad we're doing uh, Noah and that you mentioned that I spend part of my time in Arizona, but most of my time in Minnesota because Noah, for me, is really a Minnesotan. And that's because if you look at verse um, 14, we have no need to translate because in Hebrew it says, gofer. Okay, so here's God speaking to Noah, telling him what to do in preparation for the flood. And he says to him, make yourself an ark of atse gopher. Atse means wood, and gopher is gopher wood. And of course, from Minnesota, a fan of the University of Minnesota's Big Ten basketball team, it's the gophers. So um, Noah has a special place to Minnesotans. So thank you for inviting me. For, for those of you who are not sports fan, um, every team in the United States, like Canadians, has uh, mascots. And the University of Minnesota athletic team's mascot is a gopher. I'm not exactly sure why, since Minnesota has frozen uh, landscape. And I think is even called the um, land of 10,000 lakes. Right. It's true. So I'm not exactly sure where the gopher came from, but the uh, kind of um, humorous take here is on gopher wood, which indicates to us, since we don't know exactly where Noah started, he must have started from the Twin Cities of St. Paul, Minneapolis. And there's a lot of lakes that he could have put the ark on, like Lake Superior. That's right. And traveled all the way up to Canada, very easily to Canada. So there you go. We got this great uh, humorous uh, opening. And uh, and I think oh, gophers come from 
the Wolverines and the Badgers. These are all the other Big Ten teams. So there you go. Right. One is from Michigan. One is from Wisconsin. And maybe there's a, a, a great story there about why these state schools chose these animals. Well, maybe we'll explore this more um, next year when we come to know it. But right now, I'm going to go back to the topic that you introduced so beautifully, Rabbi. Um, the opening line, I, I love Noah, not just because of the gopher wood and the fun, but I love it because this Torah portion is really about character. It's about, um, you know, who people are and who we strive to be and what is it that makes a person's character um, important, especially in a world of so much conflict. And, you know, who do we want to be? And Noah provides us with a couple of great examples here with the Hebrew words that I'd like to spend some time together with. Uh, Good, because it's a it's um, an interesting juxtaposition that we find ourselves. Yeah, the two right? words that um, yeah. Adam and Eve are created in a sense pure, right? They uh, do not follow God's command, and there's a consequence right. for it. Uh, Cain and Abel are punished for uh, a violation of um, morality, right. but there is no uh, pronouncement from the deity at that point about um, the prohibition against murder. So it appears that there is an assumption in the text by God that inherent in human beings is a, um, uh, a moral fiber. And then the parasha of last week um, leads us into this notion that humanity has rejected their moral core, um, and Noah now appears um, with these words of ish ta ish tzadik tamim, and um, and he finds favor in God's eyes. So who is he? And why is he our savior? And why is he a model for us? Or is he, or is right. he a model for us? And Good, because he's given that role. Right. Here's the two words, Sadiq and Tamim. They come right next to each other. He's described as a man who is Ish Sadiq, Tamim Ayabadoratub, as you read before. And it's translated, Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his age. But I think if we look at the Hebrew, we'll find some nuances that'll help us understand what the text is trying to direct us to. Uh, the word sadiq is a powerful word in the Hebrew language. And every Hebrew word has three letters that make up its stem or its root, which is similar to Greek, which uh, I've been having the pleasure of studying as well. There are root and stems. And that sedek, the word from which sadiq comes, means righteousness. Something that is the right thing to do always, sedek. And, and in fact, there's a number of words. There's sedek, and there's sadiq, and there's sadaka. And these are all words with very positive connotations. Not just positive, but superlative connotations. Um, the word sadiq here is a person who's a sadiq. And we use this even in modern Yiddish, a sadiq. A sadiq is someone who's, oh, this is a person who's almost per almost perfect. In, in our Jewish thinking, there's no human being who's perfect. An, and this is a theological tenet that makes it different sometimes of other religions where there is that perfection. Rabbi, you would say And, and if, uh, if I could help our listeners for a moment, this concept of tzaddik, 
should be uh, juxtaposed to a religious leader. A religious leader, whether it's the priest or the rabbi, has a functionary role in the um, performance of religious behaviors, the implementation of religious commandments. The tzaddik is about character and doesn't claim um, any genetic uh, uh, connection to the past, like the priesthood, and in many cases doesn't require the kind of academic learning that the rabbi does. It is primarily the term, as you've suggested, um, in the translation of righteous that speaks to the character of the individual. Exactly. It's something that he earns from his actions, not from what he says, but what he does. This is the person who walks the walk. And, and I think that we see, and we see this, this concept bandied about in all the political arguments that go on today about criticizing this candidate or that candidate. So this is something that's important to people. And it's important to, I think, to every individual because I think that in our own minds, we'd like to strive to be a tzaddik. And it's, it's a hard, um, level to achieve, but the goal is to try to keep getting better and getting closer to this ideal of being a tzaddik. In fact, there's a legend in, in Judaism. I love this legend. It's called the legend of the 36 righteous people. That's the, the, the Lamed Vavniks, the Lamed Vav 36. Lamed is the letter that me, that stands for the number 30. Vav is the letter that stands for the number six. Together, a Lamed Vavnik is a third, one of the 36. And the legend says that at any time the world continues to exist in spite of all the Hamas, the, the lawlessness that fills the, the earth. That's, that's also in this, this term. We're learning a lot of great Hebrew today. And in spite of the lawlessness that continues to flood the earth, we have 36 righteous people who are somewhere all over the globe, 36 of them, and because they exist, God will not destroy the world. So this 36 is a tremendous responsibility. The good thing is, if you're one of the 36, you don't know it. Because if you, if you would know it, you wouldn't be so righteous because you would be so filled with hubris that it wouldn't count. So they are the, they are the homeostatic uh, aspect of the world that keeps us from falling uh, out of orbit. That's, that's a great way to um, phrase it, yes. When you speak of Noah as Ish Sadiq, does the text give us any understanding of why he's identified as a tzaddik? Um, there may be some great midrashim, which I, I don't come to mind right now, but there are probably some some texts that explain why you know why he was chosen and not anybody else around him. You know, sometimes there's this concept of it, Christians called grace, and we call it chesed. And, you know, there's some, it just happens because God chooses to do that. Right. And that's going to be similar to Abraham, who in next week's parasha is chosen. And again, we don't have any uh, background information that would lead us to understand why Abra, Avram at that point, 
Um, is there a difference between uh, Sadiq and Tamim? Oh, yes. And that's what I'm just about to get to because um, we're going to see. And by the way, when you get to next week um, with Abram, there is some evidence, but it's in the Midrash. It's in the, the rabbi's explanation of what Abraham did as a child when his father was selling idols. Abraham didn't believe in that. And he stood up to his father and spoke out, which is a good segue because the next word, tamim, is very different in what it connotes in Hebrew than sadiq. The word tamim, meaning here it says blameless is the translation it's often used. But the word tam, we have at Passover, at the Seder. In the Haggadah, which is the story of the Passover story, of the Passover journey, um, there's an example of four sons, four children, who are of different types. There's the wise son, there's the wicked son, there's the tom, and then there's the one who's too young and doesn't know how to ask. But the tom is, in that context, is seen as the simple son. And I think some people would say sort of the plain vanilla son, the one who just is boring, I guess. And sometimes in a sort of pejorative term, the word Tom is used as someone who's not so bright and just doesn't do very much, just sits there. And in fact, there's another Hebrew word that comes from the same root, tum-tum, which is very negative in terms of the person's ability to think and to, to do things that, that we would expect a person to do. So I find this fascinating. You have the word sadiq right before the word tamim, as if to say, okay, we're going to begin this portion with this idea, and we're going to end it by going from Noah to Abraham or Abram, because the rabbis make um, a very big argument about who was more righteous, Noah or Abraham. And it's Be before you go there, I just want to ask you, is it possible that when the text tells us that Noah was Ish Sadiq uh, Vatam, that it's speaking about the wholeness of every individual, that instead of claiming Noah was simply Ish Sadiq, that his being chosen um, in opposition to all the rest of humanity which is portrayed in such dark, uh, monochromatic uh, color that uh, Noah is given this duality. And because he has the duality, maybe even we could say gray, um, he's chosen to um, help humanity survive. Or is that in and of itself a midrash? No, no, I, I think you've hit upon something very precious here. Because when we, at the Passover Seder, and we read that phrase about the four children, the, the hacham, the wise one, the rasha, the wicked one, the tam, the simple one, and the she'enenu yodei all the one who's too young or too simple to ask, we are, it suggests to us that we think of all four of those as qualities that make up every human being. Because we have our yetzer tov, our good inclination, our yetzer ra, our evil inclination. And at different times of our life, maybe even sometimes during the same day, different parts of us rule over the way we behave. And our goal is always to try to 
overcome the Yetzer Hara and fight the Yetzer by following the commandments of God. So we can be more righteous. So I think you touched on it perfectly. I think that we see in each of these characteristics the potential of what we could be. And I think having the word chacha or having the word sadiq next to the word um, tam, you can't avoid it. It's it's putting that question in mind. Which are you going to be? Are you going to be the sadiq or are you going to be the tam? And, you know, the word sadiq, and I, I didn't get to this before, the, the word sedek is so closely related. In the Bible, there's a famous line, sedek, sedek, tirdof, in the Torah. It says, righteousness you shall pursue, pursue purely. Righteousness, righteousness, it's said twice. So that when you pursue righteousness, you need to also use righteous means. I mean, they're giving you all kinds of guidance to how to be this tzaddik, or at least approach being a tzaddik. I don't think that we can ever be a tzaddik because we all are filled with different sides and, 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 and in different situations that come out. So this contrast between tzaddik and tam is so perfect, as you say, to suggest that all human beings have this potential. Some of our listeners may know that the phrase you've quoted from, I think, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdof, has also been translated as justice, justice, you shall pursue, and often appears on um, the uh, frieze of different courthouses. Right. right. Um, and um, so we have this notion that we've gone from the purity of Adam and Eve in their formation to the reality of humanity. We are not pure creatures. We have many different sides to us. And that God, interestingly enough, anoints someone who is um, the best of his generation or the best. It's an old rabbinic question. Is he the best of a bad lot, or in and of himself, is he good? And perhaps for the last minute we have, you might want to address that for our listeners. Uh, I, well, that's, that's so beautiful because um, it, it brings us to a good conclusion because they wonder what makes um, the difference between Tzadik and Atam. And in the rabbi's discussion, they decide that Noah is more the Tam and Avram is more the Tzadik. And why is that difference made? Why is Noah not seen as as good as Abraham? Because he Noah lived in an age when everybody around him was terrible. So compared to them, he was okay. You know, compare. There's an old joke. Compared to his brother, he wasn't so bad. And um, with Abraham, um, Abraham lived in an age where he um, he didn't just go about his business as Noah did. Abraham actively argued with God when there wasn't going to be righteousness. He actually said to God, how can you do this? Aren't you righteous when God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? So Abraham argues on behalf of total strangers to try to save them from this destruction that God is going to bring because, you know, most of the people are bad. And Abraham, if you remember, Abraham argues with him. He says, let me just find 10 righteous. First, he says 100. Then he says, 10 righteous people. We're going, to need, we're going to need to leave that as kind of a cliffhanger for our listeners. Um, I want to thank Rabbi Norman Cohn for helping us 
really um, have some in-depth understanding of who Noah is and why Noah, besides the children's version of this story that we know, is such an important uh, creation in the Torah and such an important uh, figure for us to consider ourselves uh, in relationship to. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can hear a podcast of this on the chri.ca website or on iTunes, or you can see it on uh, YouTube. For those of you who are listening, I wish you shalom and a good day. And again, thanks to Rabbi Norman Cohen.